Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. It's the first cup final of the season, Chelsea against Liverpool at Wembley. But who will taste glory? Will it be Jurgen Klopp in his final season as Liverpool manager? Or will Maurizio Pochettino finally break the hoodoo and actually win a trophy in English football? We'll talk about that on today's Football Social Daily. We'll also talk about the fallout from Sir Jim Ratcliffe's first interview as the new pass owner of Manchester United. He spoke about the current ownership, he spoke about the stadium, and he spoke about wanting to knock Manchester City and Liverpool off of their respective perches. All of that to come on today's show. My name's Niall, joined as always by Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor, who both predicted Arsenal to handsomely beat Porto in the Champions League midweek. Of course, you can find more excellent analysis and insight from these two on today's show. How are you doing, boys? <laughs> yeah, we uh, got that absolutely wrong. Still time for them to batter them at the Emirates, though, so it's not entirely out of the water yet. Good morning. Yes, well, what do I say when... Oh, what do I always say when... I get a prediction wrong. So if I if I could get all the predictions right, I would be a rich, rich, rich man. Wouldn't we start talking to you two nerds about football? I think my exact words were, would they be happy to drag Porto back to the Emirates with a draw? And you went, nah, of course not. They'll batter them. 3-0. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your interpretation of a Manchester accent then? No, I don't think so. I just think because I played football last night, I did a bit of shouting and sound like Sean Dyche, I think. <laughs> so I'm kind of like in between. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for myself. And say that I always said the drag out was difficult for English clubs to go to. So I mean, where's the cliche bell? Difficult place to go to. Difficult to go. You know, eleven versus eleven is one ball. You know, like all bring it all up. Is that the biggest cliche in football? Do you think? It's a tough place to go, or it was a tough game. I think it is. I think it is the biggest cliche. It just gets chucked out, doesn't it? It's like Bramall Lane, tough place to go. No, it's not. People go there and win 8 0, 5 0, 6 0. It's pretty easy. Same as Turf Moor. Everyone's like, it's a tough place to go. It might have been in 2014. Yeah, it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> the only place that's genuinely tough to go to is the main supermarkets during Christmas. That's the only tough place to go. <laughs> 
everywhere else is pretty relatively fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Siberia, that's a tough place that's to go. That's a tough place to go. <laughs> or maybe the equator during peak summer, that's a tough place to go. Uh, yeah. Death Valley, maybe. Apart from that, yeah, I think we can relatively get away with it. All right, where is the toughest place to go then in the Premier League? It's got to be Anfield, isn't it? To be fair, City's home record... I don't know how they compare City and Liverpool's home records in the last like five years. Let's say surely City's is way better. The Carabao Cup final at Wembley is on Sunday and it's Chelsea against Liverpool. I guess the main talking point is Chelsea have had a pretty bad season so far under Maurizio Pochettino, yet they could end up winning a trophy and it would be Maurizio Pochettino's first piece of silverware in English football. And it would be, even though it's only a Carabao Cup, somewhat of a monkey off the back because that's a stick that's been used to beat him with for a long time. The fact he's never won a trophy here. Yeah, I think Chelsea need this more than Liverpool do by an absolute mile. I think when you look at the trajectories of both of their seasons so far, if Liverpool lose this, I mean, of course, it's never nice losing a Carabao Cup final, just that's Marley. But to actually, <laughs> but to compare the two sides, Liverpool still are going and hunting for that. Premier League which is the the North Star this season whereas for Chelsea this is almost the be all and end all isn't it if they were to win this trophy I think it would probably buy Pochettino a pass into next season I believe if he lost this in a pretty horrible manner as in you know Liverpool won it 4-0 and it was super convincing I'd be really really surprised if he ends up lasting the season after that because there's just something about winning a trophy during a really tough phase that just lifts everyone and it almost puts a nice shiny asterisk on top of the season. And I just think for Chelsea as well, looking at both squads, I know Liverpool smashed Luton uh, the other night with a lot of injuries, but considering Chelsea put up a really good performance against Manchester City, I think it's going to be a really close game, to be honest, especially in a final. So I think as the bottom line, Chelsea probably, I believe, will be going into this so much more I don't want to say motivated because, of course, Liverpool want to win it, but I just feel like for Chelsea, it means a little bit more to their season because this is literally the pinnacle, the maximum they can earn this season. Well, you say it means more. We always kind of tease Liverpool for saying, this is Liverpool, this means more. But how much would it mean to Jurgen Klopp and to the Liverpool fans if they were to be the ones that won at Wembley, purely because it will be Jurgen Klopp's last season as the manager of the club? And there's no guarantee, even though they're top of the Premier League and still in the Europa League, there's no guarantee that they'll go on to win those two tournaments. So I guess this is a great chance to kind of, even if it is just the Carabao Cup and inverted commas, a good chance for him to sign off with something. Yeah, I think um, that's... That's you know they're going to want as much as possible from from Klopp's time and whatever that is if it's on offer they want to take it um, you know Liverpool I can't remember the last time they won this tournament but obviously City have pretty much um, pretty much like took charge of it for the last five years and won it for the last five years obviously Man United winning it last year with uh, <clears throat> down to sheer luck but um, then you uh, then you got Liverpool who who will will desperately want it. Um, Probably not as much as Chelsea need it. I agree with Joel on that one, but Chelsea absolutely need this from somewhere. Um, but Liverpool will want as much Klopp fanfare on his final, um, you know, three months in the job as possible, and they'll want the Europa League and they'll want the all the fist bumps and all the rest of it to the uh, to the crowd and and everything, um, and they'll want what well, they they can conceivably win a treble, and that's the Europa League the Carabao Cup in the Premier League, which technically 
is a treble, but not the treble, is it? Let's be honest. But it is what it is. They will they will absolutely accept it and they will call it a treble forevermore because they still call that you... treble they won. What was it in two thousand and one of the FA Cup, Car- Carling Cup at the time, and the UEFA Cup? They they, they kind of need to get an upgrade on that now because that's that's really been played out, hasn't it? Really. <laughs> yeah, it is peculiar that a team that have won more European Cups than any other team in English football have never completed a treble. But I guess that goes to show just how difficult it is. In terms of who the favourites are here, Joel, it has to be Liverpool because of the way this season has unfolded. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure Liverpool go into this as strong favourites, to be honest. But definitely favourites, no? If you're going to judge it on the last few games, yes, but... But when it's a final and you're going into it with so many key personnel missing, for example, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Jota, they're 100% out of it. I know that they wipe the floor with Luton, like I mentioned, without those guys in there. But this is a different level of quality you've got to come up against to actually show that you've got the depth. I mean, when I was looking at Liverpool's front line against Luton, it was uh, Gakpo, Salah and Diaz. I mean, that's incredible depth considering they've got a few players missing in, in and around that midfield and attack. But I'm just going off what Chelsea did with Manchester City, to be honest, which is that they really limited a really inform attack and they were in the game for good spells of that as well. And just because it's a final two, this is another cliche, form goes out the window when you get into a final. And it actually really does, to be honest. You'll always find finals to be the most unenthralling, if that's even a word, and bit of a drab occasion. I mean, the last final I can think of that was amazing was the World Cup final, and that was just the biggest anomaly I've ever seen in my life. Every other final is so ultra cagey and a little bit tactical. Yeah, but we've had some entertaining Carabao finals in recent years. Kepa Aretha Balaga, the last time Chelsea were in it, just <laughs> purely refusing to come off when Maurizio Sarri was chain-smoking on the touchline. I can imagine <laughs> he went through a pack of Marlborough after that. He went through that heavily <laughs> for the stress. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Carabao, I don't know if there's a little less stress and pressure on the players because, you know, although it's a great trophy to win, it's a trophy, it's not the one. And if Liverpool don't win it, it's not going to be the death of their season. They're still going to go on and try and win the bigger ones. So maybe there is a little less pressure on that final compared to like an FA Cup final or a Champions League final. But finals typically are just so drab. And I just hope both teams just go all out and we need an early goal. In a final, an early goal usually sets the tone, unless it's Liverpool against Spurs in the Champions League final, which didn't at all. (laughs) You mentioned about who might be the favourites and you're not too sure which way it would swing. Well, I'm just looking at some of the bookies' odds, Marley, and you can get two to one on Chelsea to win. The best odds I could find on Liverpool was even money. So I think the bookies are suggesting that even a depleted Liverpool should have enough to beat Chelsea on Sunday. Yeah, and that's... um... That's based on um, Chelsea's form uh, over the past, you know, well, all season, basically. You know, what are they, 10th in the league? Still struggling along, but you can't reflect in the odds um, some of the performances they put in against the better teams. You know, they've been good against Man City with the 4-4. Um, they've given the better teams a, a proper game, um, which has been the problem at Chelsea because they can't maintain that level of, of form, but as we were saying, you know, I think um, I think when the when the final was set up, when both teams came through their semi final, you know, if you think about Chelsea, they they lost to Middlesbrough and then smashed them at Stamford Bridge, um, and when both teams got to the final, everyone was like, "Well, Liverpool will win that because 
Chelsea were just nowhere. They had no consistency. They hadn't really shown what they can do. And we'll we'll find out more, quite a lot more about what Chelsea are like um, in this um, in this sort of ninety minutes, hundred twenty minutes, whatever it goes to. I don't know if it does go to extra time in the Carabao Cup, but um, we'll we'll have to to wait and see. But they've got the characters in that squad to to carry them through. You think of Enzo Fernandez played in a World Cup final a few months back. Thiago Silva's done pretty much everything there is to do in the game. Uh, Raheem Sterling's been around a long time. Cole Palmer's won loads of stuff at Man City. There's plenty of players in there that can carry them through in that type of um, game and make sure they show up. But it's it's big for Chelsea because this... I mean, I think if they win this, they'll be a, a threat for the top four next season because then they've got the, they've got the rest of this season to just... Do do as much as they can and try and nick a top six spot if if that's still available, and then next season they've got that belief of well we can go and win things and we can go and beat teams that we uh, should well teams at the level we think we should be at, um, and then it it sort of sets itself up for next season really it's a nice little sort of platform into it, but um, it all comes down to Sunday which is should be a good game. Seeing as your predictions on Arsenal were absolutely spot on. Who wins and how do they win? I think me and Marley need to go opposites and then we're guaranteed to win. 100%. I'm going to wait for you to say something. I'm just going to say right, the opposite. I'll go, with, I'll go with Chelsea. Chelsea in 90? Yeah, I'm going to go Chelsea in 90. I'll go with Liverpool on penalties. So Liverpool okay, then I'll go, Liv- I'll go Liverpool in 90 minutes <laughs> yeah. then. And now Chelsea we'll win will win penalties, on penalties. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only three of us. <laughs> well, we'll find out what happens on Sunday at Wembley. Three o'clock kickoff, the first silverware of the season. Up for grabs, it is the Carabao Cup final. Well, it's a cup final that Manchester United did reach last year, picking up their first silverware under Eric Ten Hag. Big ask to win another trophy this year, but times are a-changing at Old Trafford as this week Sir Jim Ratcliffe was rubber-stamped as the new part-owner of Manchester United and he's been giving his first interviews since taking on that new role. We'll talk about that after this on Football Social Daily. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast tackling all the big news and talking points from the top flight of English football. And Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor are with me as always. Marley supports Newcastle, but Joel is a Manchester United fan. So I'm going to ask you how you feel about what Jim Ratcliffe has had to say in his first interviews since being announced as the official part owner of Manchester United. His Ineos group, I think, have taken over around 27% of Manchester United. And he's come out with some interesting quotes, including wanting to knock Liverpool and Manchester City off of their perch, saying that the football on the pitch has not been good enough and that will be their first priority. Were there any key takeaways from what he said and how he said it? I was really encouraged by it, to be honest. I thought he spoke more candidly than I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to be a quite, you know... They're quite safe sometimes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. Yeah, I thought he was going to be held back. But actually, he really just spoke whatever truth he had on his mind. I mean, you have to get it from a Manchester United perspective... This is the first time we've had an owner who has come out and spoke like that for what before the Glazer family. This is unheard of in terms of ownership where you've had the Glazers who have been in the background and he's, I noticed during the interview, every time he had a question on the Glazers of asking him why is the situation as it is, he had to bite his tongue so damn hard when obviously on his mind he was saying, well, clearly he's been running to the ground for the last 10, 15 years. Well, what I thought was interesting was what he said on that when he was quizzed about the Glazer family. He said, it's not helpful for me to sit here and lay blame at anyone. All I can say is that it's not been good enough. And I actually think that was the perfect way to answer that question. Yeah, it's not in his interest, is it, to criticise his co-partners? I, mean, I, don't what, see, what... I don't see the point of it anyway. I think he's absolutely spot on. It's what, What's the point of looking at what's happened? The fact of the matter is we're in this situation. Blaming anyone doesn't change the fact that we're in this situation. So we have to just look to, to try and rectify it. I think the clearest thing from what he says is that he can smell the coffee. He knows what's going on. He doesn't need to paint it in black and white for every United fan that's wanted those particular people out for the last 15 years. So it's, we know what the situation is. I just thought that it felt like real ambition. I mean, for the first time, it actually is quite scary that a club like United have not had a structure in place. I mean, he talked about the CEO, he talked about Dan Ashworth, which was even more candid than I thought he was going to talk about. But just talking about these key personnel of the fact that Eric Ten Hag has to report to the CEO. And in modern times, that should never be the case. There needs to be a line of communication. There's been nothing. Um, you know, touching on Mason Greenwood situation again, I thought he was going to be pretty tight-lipped when it came to that. I think for me, it's the fact that he's, he's shown his cards now that he's going to be very, very clear with his communication with the fans, which is, I think, what we've all wanted for so long now, to understand where does the club lie? What is his ambitions? I mean, he even talked about the transfer window and how the reporter asked him, you know, is it going to be one of those spending sprees? Everyone's expecting X, Y, and Z to come in. And he said, listen, we're going to have a budget and we're not going past it. And that's it. Whereas you cannot say the same for the last 10 years of panicking at the end of the window, spending 60, 70 million on a player who wasn't quite right, but they were desperate. It just shows that it's time for a massive, massive change. And I think it's going to take a bit of time for sure. But he's saying all the right things that the fans want to hear and have needed to be heard for over a decade now. So for me, as a fan, it was just really encouraging. But again, the proof's in the pudding. It's easy to talk a good game. And I know he's had relative success now with Nice, so I'm sure they've learned from the mistakes of 
running a football club, but Manchester United compared to Nice is a different ball game, different kind of pressure, different kind of expectations. So I'm I'm relatively optimistic, let's say. I'll ask you about the stadium in a minute, but first, Joel, he says that these things need time. Now, we always mention the word time when it comes to managers coming in and trying to put an imprint on a football team and execute a style of play. But when it comes to ownership, fans can be impatient, especially at a club that's been, by their standards, not up to the level that they would expect over the last, let's say, 10 years. So when he says we need a bit of time to figure things out, how much time do you think he needs? Well, he mentioned it himself, two to three seasons. He said it's going to take about two to three seasons to get the structure in place and to actually start to see some genuine results. Do you think that's a dangerous thing for him to do, to put a time frame on that? Because now, if it doesn't happen in two to three seasons, and Manchester United aren't, as he says, challenging for the major honours, Premier League and Champions League, those were his words. If they're not doing that in two to three seasons, straight away, questions are going to be asked and fingers are going to be pointed. But he's not making any promises, though. He's saying, judge us in two to three seasons, good or bad. And I think that's realistic to say, to be fair. I mean, he's putting they're going to be putting a lot of money into this now. You know, even to get Omar Barada from Manchester City, potentially Dan Ashworth from Newcastle. And who knows what's going to happen in the transfer windows. So I think it's a realistic time frame, to be honest, for a football club to start seeing genuine change uh, on the pitch due to the off-the-pitch changes. And also, I just wanted to mention, Niall, your conspiracy theory on Sheikh Jassim, Jim Ratcliffe actually alluded to the fact that he might not actually be real, which I could not believe when he said it. Like, it might be AI-generated pictures for all we know. Listen, you two are here to provide <laughs> takes, and I'm here to provide the actual analysis and oh, insight. God, so I should have brought it up now, <laughs> should I, Marley? Oh, God. I should, have kept, I should have been tight lips. I've gone down the Jim Ratcliffe route. No, being but I'm glad you've brought that up, because... Sheikh Jassim was backed by a lot of the Manchester United fan base. They wanted this Qatari wealth in the club. And I always bring it back to Portsmouth. Of course I do, because that's all I know. I support a club that's had major ownership troubles, both whilst we were in the Premier League and whilst we haven't been in the Premier League. And one of the issues we found was that the club was sold and nobody knows to this day whether that character was a real person or not. Portsmouth was sold to a... Uh, a Middle Eastern man called, well, we think he's a man. We don't, that's why I said character a minute ago. We don't actually know who he is or if he is or where he's from or if he's real. So we called him Ali Al-Miraj instead of Ali Al-Faraj because we weren't <laughs> sure whether he was real or not. And people still don't know 14 years on. It's, it's, like, it's like when an author writes a book and he goes by the, a pseudonym, you know, like of JF. And everyone's like, who's JF? Like, Almost an Al Mirage, like you said, literally. I mean, if if Jim Ratcliffe's saying that and he has the biggest ear to the ground in terms of what's going on with the deal, clearly everyone in and around the deal has been thinking the same thing. I'm sure that Qatar representatives, let's say, have reached out to the Glazers and I'm sure they've put proposals together. But then just before they accepted Ratcliffe's bid, there was all these reports coming out that there was no substance in terms of there was no proof of finances, there was no proof of you know, the money available. And you know what? Looking now, I always maintain whenever you guys asked me, would you be happy with the Qatar bid? I would. I said, probably not. I would actually want someone who is a bit more local, even if it means the fact that we have to take 25%. Fair enough. It's not my personal preference. Looking now at what Jim Ratcliffe's saying, how much of an amazing opportunity is this that you've got a local guy, a British businessman who understands the club, 
And he even said in his interview, I don't know if you can take it as face value, but he says that he's not in it for the money. And you know what? At 71 years old with the money that he's earning in the petroleum industry and the chemical industry, I tend to want to be inclined to believe him. Obviously, they're going to want to gain some value out of it. But I genuinely feel like this is almost like a passion project where he actually really wants to make an influence on that Trafford area, on Manchester United, and actually almost prove the Glazer family wrong. You know, as if to say, this club can actually achieve what it should achieve in the right kind of leadership and ownership. So for me, it's actually, although it's only 27% and he got asked, do you have a view to getting it 100%? From what his comments were, this is the best he could have got it seems like the Glazer family just were not willing to let go of control. And you know what? If that's the best we can get and they let him have sporting control, I'll take it 100%. Okay, well, one of the other comments that Jim Ratcliffe made was about this pursuit for Newcastle United sporting director Dan Ashworth. It's a topic we've covered a couple of times over the last week or so on FSD. He's been placed on gardening leave by Newcastle. These were his comments, Marley. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts as a Newcastle fan about those. I think Dan Ashworth is a 10 out of 10 sporting director, one of the best around. He would be good for Manchester United and it's understandable that somebody like Dan would see the United job as a very interesting challenge at this stage of his career. What doesn't make sense for Dan Ashworth is to be sat doing nothing for 18 months. Hi, Mr. Ratcliffe. Are you aware of how contracts work? As if you want to get a guy out of contract, you have to pay. If not, gardening leave, that's it. We're not doing anything weird. We're We're not being petty and spiteful for no reason if you want him you pay for him or you wait for him simple as that the price is whatever we set it as because we've got the compensation deal sort of there to back us up so there's there's probably a minimum payment we could get for him um and let's be honest no one's going to roll over and give what you've called a 10 out of 10 sporting director just a free pass to just go to a club where both teams have ambitions of getting to pretty much the same place um, at some point in the future. I know that, you know, neither of them are there at the minute, but they both want to be the next best club when City falls slightly or when Liverpool, you know, lose Klopp or whatever it may be. So if you want him, you've got to pay for him. Um, and that's it, basically. But all this, all this interview has done is prove how much he wants him. So that actually strengthens Newcastle's position of saying, okay, well, the price is 10 million, 20 million, whatever it may be. Um, And, you know, Ratcliffe there in his interview, fluttering his eyelashes at him saying, oh, please come and start at Man United. Well, it's not not up to you when you want him to start. If you want him to start sooner, you pay the money. So it's as simple as that, really. Okay, well, I think that's one that's going to take a bit of time to resolve, as is the Old Trafford situation. He was asked about Old Trafford and he said that Old Trafford has fallen behind. And actually, he also said something that I've been saying for ages, which is he quite likes Carrington and doesn't think it's as bad as people say. I've been saying that on FSD for the last three years when everyone says the training grounds fall into bits. It's an absolute myth. Old Trafford is different, though. And we know that Old Trafford does need renovation. It is looking dilapidated and tired in places. People make jokes about the roof leaking and stuff like that. He was asked about whether it's time to regenerate, build a new stadium or reface the old one and keep Old Trafford where it is. He was a little bit coy on that. In fact, that was one of the only answers he gave where I wasn't entirely sure what his decision on that was. So I guess he's keeping his options open. 
with the training ground, I think the only reason that came into focus was after Cristiano Ronaldo's interview, where he pretty much said it's not up to scratch. And like Ratcliffe then alluded to in his interview, he said we can change the technology inside it pretty easily. It's not hard. I don't think you need to knock the whole thing down, you know, do a Picasso, destroy everything to rebuild again. I think you can kind of, you can improve it gradually, can't you? But like you say, with the stadium, I took that his preference was to get a new stadium. And the way in which his comments were that he wanted like a a stadium for the North, which can host Champions League finals and concerts and England games and whatever else. As a United fan, it, it, I'm conflicted. I'm really conflicted with it because I would like to firstly understand how an Old Trafford that is refurbished would look in terms of the inside, how it would look on the outside, if, the, if it would genuinely be a major, major difference. But I'm thinking with what Ratcliffe's saying, he genuinely wants a clean slate where it's absolutely state-of-the-art. But I don't know where the money's going to come from. Because when the reporter asked him, where's the source of funds for this? It's almost like he wanted the government to pay for it. Which, in my opinion, I don't think is right at all, to be honest. Maybe there can be subsidies in terms of taxes or, I don't know, something which allows it because it's going to be a hub for the North in terms of hosting or whatever. But taxpayers should not be paying for a Premier League football club. No chance. It's not right at all. It's it's not morally right for society. Yeah. And it, it's, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth when you have a billionaire sat there saying that taxpayers' money should be used when this is one of the most wealthy men in the UK. Especially when all his businesses are based in Monaco and he lives in Monaco, which is a tax haven. So, you know, for a guy to, to get away with paying all these taxes and then come into England and say, oh, by the way, I think the government should pay for this is an absolute joke. I think this is just typical English football fan, though, because actually, if you listen to the whole interview, that's probably the one banana skin that he slipped up on. Everything else he said, I thought was fair enough. Even the Ashworth thing, which you disagree with, I think that's fair enough. That's just a man's opinion. But I think in terms of the current climate in this country financially, people are struggling, they're hard up. Some people don't know where their next paycheck's coming from. To then say that maybe taxpayer money should be used to fund a new stadium for Manchester United, I think was a poor take. But actually, if people can only take that out of the interview, then I think that's reflective of modern Premier League fandom where people are only looking for the negatives and not actually looking at the positive things he said, which is a bit of a shame, really. And by the way, at the end of that point, he did say they're very early in the process. I mean, they would need to consult fans. They would need to consult everyone. It's in the end of the day, it's not really down to him because like he alluded to, it's a community asset. It doesn't belong to owners in a sense. They're pretty much custodians to it. They're not going to own it forever. So if fans were massively opposing, match going fans were massively opposing to a new stadium being built, I dare to think that he would go against that. But so. to be honest, there are modern examples. By the time that Manchester United do finally get around to deciding whether to renovate Old Trafford or build a new one, the Bernabeu will have been regenerated on its current site. The Camp Nou in Barcelona will have been regenerated on its current site. Liverpool regenerated on its current site. So actually you're talking three of the other biggest clubs in world football have decided to stay where they are and regenerate. And actually when I see Manchester United fans, Marley, say, well Spurs have got a new stadium and they've basically built it on the land next to White Hart Lane. Manchester United don't need to make that step. They don't need to make a statement with a new stadium because I think if you look at the other big clubs and what they've done, they've decided to stay and regenerate and maybe Manchester United fans feel like they need to make a statement because they're the biggest club in the world. But I just don't understand that mentality. The evidence is there to stay put, 
regenerate, keep the heritage. 100%. I, th- I would stay. Uh, if I was a Man United fan, I would want Old Trafford to be redeveloped. I think there's a lot of work by a lot of very clever, you know, uh, archi... Archi... And he said archi... Might need to, to go down <laughs> but, there. It's like 100 odd years old. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, you find some bodies down there, trust me. Um, but architects will come up with, with amazing plans to to regenerate uh, Old Trafford, however it may look. Um, the the thing I think like is, if you knocked it down and rebuilt, you're still getting another 80,000 Steeter Stadium. You might get 90. But what's the, what, what's the point for 10k? Like It's not a, a massive revenue stream. Whereas when Spurs went from uh, White Hart Lane to the to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, you know they had an increase of about forty thousand, which is was White Hart Lane like twenty twenty two thousand, twenty five thousand or something like that. That's what I think thirty five, but yeah, was it thirty five? So they've yeah. gone from thirty five to sixty, so you've almost doubled. And then you've got the uh, NFL games being played there. You've got concerts happening there, and all the rest of it. So the 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 revenue stream goes massively uh, up. Man United haven't got that to move into because, as you said, they're already an elite club. They've already got the the fan base and everything. They're already making tons and tons of money off the ticket sales and stuff. So you would have to take a massive hit on that in the meantime and play somewhere else, which is another logistical nightmare, um, while you built a new stadium, which is just shinier and newer than, than Old Trafford. I think you could easily do do enough of a good job Re- redeveloping Old Trafford as it is, um, and and getting Man United to having this newer stadium. It doesn't need to be the best stadium in the in the world. It doesn't need to have, you know, all these concourses serving all these crazy pints and have them fill up glasses from the bottom and all the rest of it like the Spurs stadium does. You don't need that. It just needs to be a little bit better than it is. The scale of the job shouldn't be underestimated, though. I think that's why you need to compare the cost of the two. Because a regeneration will probably cost close to a billion pounds anyway. It's a huge, huge job. It's not a case of lick of paint and a new stand. Like It needs gutting out, genuinely gutting out. And I don't know how much that'll cost. And when they're comparing it, the opportunity cost of 1.5, 1.67 billion for a new stadium and 1 billion for a complete regeneration... I mean, you've got to be quite calculated then and think, well, what's the right cost of that? Obviously, the regeneration means you lose capacity on a match day whilst the, the ground is being rejuvenated, which is why Barcelona are playing at the Parc Montjuic Stadium up on the hill there in Barcelona. But luckily, they've got that opportunity to do that. Where would Man United play? Wembley. No, no, I don't think that would happen. Where else can they play in the Northwest? Exactly. No, that's what I mean. It'd be a logistical nightmare. They can't ground share with Manchester City. That would be... Everton's new stadium. Yeah, we'll take Goodison for a couple of seasons before they knock it down and make it into a house in a state. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. These are all questions that need to be answered. It's, it's, it's big logistics. Okay, well, let me finish off today's episode by asking both of you the same question and just hearing what your answers are. Would you swap St. James's Park or Old Trafford as it is now, respectively, for London Stadium? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that one, Niall. Absolutely not. No. Yeah, but that wasn't even made to be a football pitch. Would you swap it? Yes or no? No, because it's not a football. It's not. It, that was made to be an athletics pitch. It's like, it's like an Italian stadium. Would you swap with the Emirates? Again, no, because I don't like what the architects did with it. Would you swap with Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? 
Same, I don't want a bowl. Give me some good architects who make it feel like the fans are closer to the pitch. When did Joel become an architect? What's going on here? Joel, if, a, if an architect sat you down with plans and explained them, your head would fall off. You just want to see nice pretty drawings on a piece of paper. Listen, I just want fans to be close to the pitch. Is that too much to ask? You are why, right are they always like, why are they always like miles away? I don't understand it. Even at uh, Atletico Madrid's won the Metropolitano, the cow they're on, they were literally, literally touched the players. Now they're like binoculars. I think that kind of answers the point. The fact you wouldn't swap your current dilapidated stadium for the most expensive, most flashy, fancy stadium on planet Earth, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That says everything. If that was red seats and it had a red devil instead of a cock on the top of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want a cock on top of the stadium. You've got 11 cocks on the field. You better not climb up there then, Joel. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think it's been an interesting debate on today's Football Social Daily. We'll be back again on Monday reflecting on that Carabao Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool as well as looking back at some of the other action from the weekend's Premier League games with our usual feature Get In The Sea but in the meantime you can keep in touch with us via social media links are in the description and also the link to the free to join Telegram group is there as well so click that download the app and come and join us but from Marley, Joel and I that is it have a great weekend we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network 